بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمده ونصلی علی رسول الکریم اما بعد الحمدللہ ٹوڈے از دا 21st of May in the year 2023 and alhamdulillah we moved on to the 17th session that we're going through the commentary of the blessed surah al-hajj and I've reached verse 41 so inshallah today going through up to and including verse 45 so verse 41 adhu billahi minash shaitan rajeem bismillah rahman rahim they are those who if we establish them in the land establish the salah and give the zakah enjoin the good and forbid the evil with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rests the end of all affairs so here in this verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that when the belief is established he gives them authority they do three cardinal deeds they establish the salat they establish the zakat and they enjoin the good and forbid the evil so about enjoining the good and forbidding the evil the importance of it is mentioned in another verse so in surah tawbah surah 9 verse 71 allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says the translation the believing men and women are the protectors of one another they enjoin the good forbid the evil and they establish the salah and they give zakat and the verse continues so what's fascinating in this verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even before salat and zakat what deed does he mention he mentions enjoining the good and forbidding the evil so this by itself shows how important this deed is that if it's mentioned even before two of the pillars then what does that say about this deed So here note, this is a sign that the deed will be established is when the authorities focus upon this glorious deed. So now a direct report. In Ibn Abi Hatim and Ibn Kathir's tafsir, Sayyidina Uthman radiyallahu, he explained verse 41, he recited, and then he said, this was revealed concerning us, For we had been expelled from our homes unjustly only because we said our Lord is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then we were given authority in the land. Hence we established the salat, we gave the zakat, we enjoined the good and forbid the evil and, and then he recited the last portion, وَلِلَّهِ عَاقِبَةُ الدَّارِ And with Allah rest the end of all affairs, he explained, This is about my companions and I. So Amir al-Mu'mineen Sayyidina Uthman, he explained that they were forced to do hijrah, which I mentioned in the previous verses. The permission for jihad was given, which I mentioned in the previous verses. And then he said, when we were given authority, we did exactly what Allah Ta'ala ordered. We established the salat, we gave the zakat, we enjoined the good, forbid the evil. But then he said, but the end of the verse, وَلِلَّهِ عَاقِبَةُ الدَّارِ With Allah rest the end of all affairs. This is with regards to my companions and I, meaning the fitna. At the end of Uthman's Khalifa, the fitna erupted. And Allah Ta'ala simply says that all of your disputes will come back to me. 
So this is a direct tafsir of this verse from Amir al-Mu'minis. But there's another passage. So Mufti Shafi Rahmatullah in Ma'rif al-Quran, volume 6, page 275 of the English translation, he said, It has been mentioned that these verses were revealed soon after the Hijrah, at a time when the Muslims did not have any authority on the earth, which means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had already made it known that in a future date, they would come to power, they would establish the government, they would serve their iman in the manner described in this verse. So the first thing Mufti Shafi said is this is a prophecy. Allah Ta'ala says you'll be given authority. And they were given authority. Then he said, in due course, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala's prophecy was fulfilled in the era of the Khilaf al-Rashidin. And the Muhajirun from Makkah were indeed those whom Allah Ta'ala described in verse 40. Ukhriju, those who were expelled. And when they established their government and held sway over vast territories, they used their power and authority in setting up salat, strengthening the system of zakat, enjoining the good, forbidding the evil. Many scholars are of the view that this verse is a clear evidence of the fact that the accession to power of the four caliphs is a direct fulfillment of the prophecy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the system of khilafat which was set up by them was in accordance with his will. This is also in Ruh al-Ma'an. So, there's a few prophecies which Mufti Shafi was highlighting. Allah Ta'ala was saying you'll be given authority and they were. The Khilaf al-Rashidin set the system up just like the Prophet And this is a prophecy of that. So why is that important to highlight? Because what do the deviants say? So if you ask them, verse 41 of Surah Al-Hajj, who is it in reference to? So you ask the, the Rawafid. And he goes, uh, the Prophet goes, yes, but who else? And obviously they have to testify is the Khilaf al-Rashidin. But you call them Munafiks. <laughs> so why would God give them authority over the land, establishing the, uh, enjoying the good, forbidding the evil, establishing the land, giving zakat, and they're Munafiks. So Nur Allah, Allah is exposing deviancy as well. Here. So this is also mentioned. Now what's interesting, there's another verse. In Surah 24, verse 55. In Surah 24, verse 55. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, this is the translation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised to those amongst you who believe and do pure deeds that he will of a surety grant them in the land inheritance of power as he granted it to those before them that he will establish in authority their religion, the one which he has chosen for them and that he will change their state after fear in which they live to one of peace and security. They will worship me alone, not associate anything with me. If any reject faith after this, they are the Farsiku. So in this verse, in Surah Nur, Surah 24, verse 55, Allah Ta'ala has promised that if you do righteous deeds, you believe, I will establish you in authority. So now, this verse, there's a commentary. In Sa'id ibn Mansur, Taburani, Hakim Behaki, Kanzal Umal ibn Mundir ibn Mardawi, Hayat Sahab. Obey ibn Ka'ab, radiyallahu, he said, When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his companions, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, came to Medina under the protection of the Ansar, 
all of the Arabs joined forces with each other against them. So when the Prophet migrated to Al Madinah, everybody amongst the, in the Arabian Peninsula were now their enemies. Then Obey said, therefore the Muslims could not sleep but armed and would not get up in the morning but with arms. So they were in such a state of fear that they wouldn't even sleep without weapons and they wake up with their weapons. They used to say to each other, do you think a time would come when we would be able to live in peace and satisfaction, having no fear, other than the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Upon this, this verse was revealed. Surah 24, verse 55. Allah Ta'ala says, I promise you do righteous deeds, you are, you believe, I will give you authority in the land, and you will be, the fear will change into peace. So didn't that happen? Allah Ta'ala promised, and he fulfilled this promise, which he would he, he always does. And also, there's another important point here. Maulana Ashraf Ali Thanawi, sorry, say, uh, Maulana Muhammad Ilyas, who was the founder of the Tablighi movement, he said something very interesting here. So this is in the work, Words and Reflections of the Revivalist of the Work of Tablighi. So page 89 of the English translation, he said, Our primary objective, our main objective and desire from religious activities should be to gain divine pleasure and internal rewards. So what did he first say? So the respected Shaykh Rahmatullah said, Anything you do in your deed, your main maqsad, your main intention is to please Allah Ta'ala, and look forward to what he's promised. Then he said, the blessings and gifts that have been promised in the world, for example, peace and respectable life, or granting the inheritance of power in the world, Ayah Surah 24 verse 55, are not the maqsad, are not the objects, but is that which has been promised. So what did the shaykh then say? He says, we don't do our deeds except for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the eternal rewards. He goes, but Allah ta'ala promises things as well. He promises authority. He said, we don't do our deeds for that. So if somebody goes, we want khilafat. That's why I'm doing my deeds. That's not the maqsad. The maqsad is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his pleasure. He goes, this is his promise. Then the shaykh said, we must do whatever we have to do only to gain the pleasure of Allah and reward in the next. However, we have full faith in the promise and we should also make dua for it, although it should not be the object of our worship and obedience. So if somebody goes, don't you want khilafat? Yes, that's not my maqsad. Allah promises that he will fulfill his promise. My promise, my main objective is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and look forward to his, you know, what he's promised me in the next eternal happiness. But he will fulfill his promise. Then he said, we can clearly and easily understand the difference between the maqsad and the promise. If we take the example of marriage, so he's giving an example so you get to understand this. Bringing home and availing the company of a wife is the maqsad of marriage. So somebody goes, why are you getting married? He goes, because I want to have a comfortable life. 
I want to avail all of the benefits of having a wife. But then he said, Bodawi comes along. Which, in other words, is promised. Yet nobody is so foolish to get married merely to get or to receive a small dowry. So imagine you go, why are you getting married? I'm looking for a small dowry. So you want to save money when you want to get married? He goes, yeah. Is that correct mindset? He goes, what about a righteous wife? What if you get a righteous wife and the dowry is a bit expensive? I don't want to know. Then he said, suppose somebody gets married for, the, for this purpose and his wife finds out that she was married solely for her dowry. Just imagine how little regard there will be in her heart for her husband. Imagine the wife finds out, he goes, you married me. And I've, because only reason you married me is for a small dowry. Is she going to be happy with you? So how is that linked? Those to worship Allah Ta'ala, to fulfill His promise, should never be the objective. You understand? Right? So why have I mentioned this here? Because sometimes people miss the ball. That's the phrase in English. <laughs> because, you know, we need this, we need that. That's not the maqsad. Why are you focusing on something which is Allah Ta'ala's domain? You do what you're supposed to do. You believe, you do righteous deeds, you enjoy the good, you forbid the evil. Look at the history, look at the seerah, they'll explain. Allah Ta'ala then gives. But he will not give if you haven't got this. And he will fulfill his promise. He's not going to break his side of the bargain. So now another thing which is worth pointing out here. Yes. So if you look at the end of the verse, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says at the end of the verse, i.e. of verse 55, if any, Surah 24 verse 55, if any reject faith after this, they are rebellious and wicked. So now what's interesting here, Allah Ta'ala has promised you authority if you do what you're supposed to do. He's mentioned that. He will change your fear into security. But why does he say at the end of the verse, وَمَنْ كَفَرَ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ فَأُولَائِكَ هُمُ الْفَاسِكُونَ Whoever rejects faith after this, they are fasics. So who are these people that Allah is talking about? So Mufti Shafi Rahmatullah in Ma'rif Al-Quran, volume 6, page 454, he said, Kufr and ingratitude are great sins in any situation. But after the establishment of the Khilafat, the intensity of these sins is doubled. Now think about that. Somebody goes, are we in a better state without the Khilafat? Now on the face of it, it sounds like a Kufr statement. So you say, of course we want Khilafat. No, I didn't say we want Khilafat. Of course we want Khilafat. But are we getting any blessings that we are not in Khilafat? Kufr and ingratitude are less. Then he said, Mufti Shafi, this is why it is emphasized by this verse, Ba'adadhalik, after this. Imam Bahuwi, he quotes the scholars of Tafsir, that the Quranic verse came true for the first time when Uthman was assassinated, when they committed this great sin, the grace of Allah were reduced and they were afflicted with fear and fright because of mutual killings and massacres. So somebody goes, okay, Uthman was martyred. It's a long narrative. What happened? Civil war. 
What happened to the peace? The peace went. Why is Allah's grace is going? Because you have done something in the Khilafat. Allah goes, you do it in the Khilafat. He goes, this is a fast, this is fisk. Then he said, despite the fight, they were brothers to each other. They got involved in killing each other. Imam Bahuwi relates on the authority of Abdullah ibn Salam that he was given a sermon during Uthman's Khalifa. So Ibn Salam was a Jewish rabbi who embraced Islam. He's defending Uthman and he said to the people, the angels of Allah have called in your city for security ever since Rasulullah came to Medina, and this will continue until today. By God, if you assassinate Uthman, these angels will retreat. They will never return. By God, whoever from you kills him will present himself before Allah with his hands cut. He will be without his hands. And know that Allah's sword is in its sheath. By God, if this sword comes out of its sheath, it will never go back in its sheath again. Because when a messenger is assassinated, 70,000 people are killed in turn. And when a Khalifa is assassinated, 35,000 people are killed. They've seen Muslim. So what happened? Ibn Salam was warning them, because don't kill him. You kill him, because you will lose the grace of Allah. And 35,000 Muslims will lose their lives. So what is happening? It's all about this verse. Any who reject faith after this, the Khilafat, they are rebellious and wicked. So note, the Quran is mentioning very subtly things that are happening in the world today. Why is there no Khilafat? And what it boils down to is, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And there is some mercy in this as well. Allah Ta'ala has not taken us to task more severely. But when it comes back, you have to be very careful. Allah Ta'ala has given you the great honor of the Khilafat again. And the tragedy is, people aren't ready for it. You've got to be bluntly, blatantly honest. People aren't even praying. So what do you expect that to happen? And when it goes to you, heads are going to come off. Whose heads are coming off? Muslims. Imagine the non-Muslims hearing about hey, what's happening. All Muslims' heads coming off. Why? They're not praying. SubhanAllah. Verse 42. If they treat your mission as false, so did the people before them with their prophets, the people of Nuh, the Ad and Thamud, those of Ibrahim and Lut, Verse 44. And the companions of the Madian people. And Musa was rejected in the same way. Now what's interesting here? In these verses 42 onwards, Allah Ta'ala says the other prophets were also falsified. So which prophets are mentioned? Nuh didn't they reject him? Yes. His own people rejected him. Ad, who was he rejected by his people? Yes. Famud, Salih, yes. Ibrahim, Lut, the companions of Madian. But then suddenly, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? وَكُذِّبَ Musa, And Musa was belied. But why doesn't it say his own people? So when it comes to the prophets before, Allah Ta'ala goes, their qawm rejected their prophets, their qawm. When it comes to Musa, it says, وَكُذِّبَ Musa, He was belied. Why is his qawm not mentioned? And this is the perfection of the Qur'an. In the shade of the Qur'an, Sayyid Qutb Rahmatullah he says, volume 12, page 147, he said, 
Musa والسلام, is mentioned on his own as though the reference to him constitutes a special paragraph. Musa was accused of falsehood. Look at the verse, verse 44. He was accused of falsehood. Unlike other messengers, Musa والسلام, was not accused of falsehood by his own people. It was Fir'aun and his chiefs that opposed Musa, leveling all sorts of accusations against him. Now think about that. We know that his own nation gave him grief. But did they reject him? No. Mm-hmm. No, once did they reject, he's not a prophet. <laughs> so Allah gives them that much. But he says, Musa was belied. Belied by who? <laughs> Quran is giving you a hint. It's not his people. He's different. And if Allah had said his people, it's a mistake. So people will say that your Quran is better than His people never rejected Musa. Allah never said that. Musa. Then the verse says, But I granted respite to the unbelievers, and only after that did I punish them. But how terrible was my rejection of them. So now what's interesting? Allah gives rope to the unbelievers. But there's a point where the punishment comes. But look what Allah Ta'ala says, very interesting choice of words. How terrible was my rejection. <laughs> so what does Kafir mean? Reject. So Allah Ta'ala says, they've rejected me. So I've rejected them. And then he's saying, who won? <laughs> and it's, you know, you've rejected Allah Ta'ala. Well, no man. So, have you benefited? Got wasted, right? So, Allah goes, my rejection was far worse. So, Allah goes, I am their kafir. I reject them. And you, you miss these subtleties in the English. You don't get it. But again, notice Allah is using choice words. Verse 45. How many populations have we destroyed which were given to oppression? They tumble down on their roofs. And how many wells are lying idle and neglected and castles lofty and well built. So now there's a report here. In Ibn Abi Dunya and Ibn Kathir's tafsir, Abu Bakr Siddiq, sorry, Abu Bakr, one of the Salaf, he said, some of the wise people have said, give life to your hearts with lessons. Illuminate it with thought. Kill it with asceticism. Strengthen it with yaqeen. Remind it of its mortality. Make it aware of the calamities of the world. Warn it of the disasters that life may bring. Show it how things may suddenly change with the passing of days. Tell it the narratives of the people of the past and remind it of what happened to those who came before. So what was this respected Sheikh from the Salaf saying? He's saying that, he's explaining why there's so much history in the Quran. So it's a good question. Why is Allah talking about history? You know, what are we going to do with history? Should it, it's more important to talk about the future. But the Quran is full of history. So the Salaf, 
They said because of the profound impact it has if you take the fruit of history, give life to your hearts with lessons. How do you take a lesson from the past? How much have you taken from the past? Doesn't that have an impact upon the heart? Of course it does. Illuminate it with thought, reflect, give light to the heart. Kill it with zuhud. How do you acquire zuhud? You go to the past. You look at the people, how little they did of the world. And what happens? It strengthens you. Strengthen it with yaqeen. Your iman builds up to a level of yaqeen. Reminded of its mortality. People lived for thousands of years in the past. They died. So what do we take? We don't live even a fraction of that time. So we take a lesson from that. Make it aware of the calamities of the world. What happened when people disobeyed? Nations were destroyed. You know, think about that. We just say sometimes, nations, not people. Nations were destroyed. Is that a small thing? Reflect what happens when you disobey. Warn it of the disasters that life may bring. Right? Show it how things may suddenly change. One day you're happy, one day you're weak. And think about that society. Why am I happy one day? Over, you know, I'm on cloud nine. Next day, I'm in the pits. Welcome to dunya. This is not the place to enjoy yourself. Tell it the narratives of the people of the past and remind it of what happened to those who came before. So why is it mentioned in this verse? Because Allah the last telling you. What does he say in verse 45? How many populations have we destroyed which were given to zulm? They tumble down on their roofs and how many wells are lying idle and neglected and castles lofty and well built? And this is a sign. When Allah Ta'ala wiped out Qawmi Salih, Qawmi Thamud, what did he leave behind without being touched? Everything was wiped out except one thing. That was a sign. So what was the miracle given to Salih? Okay, that's the clue. So what was left behind? I've just mentioned this verse three times. Let's say it again. How many wells are lying idle and neglected? See, you know, listening. You know, Allah Ta'ala speaking. I don't know. Maybe you think of, you know, what's happening. So Allah Ta'ala, why is he mentioning a well? What well? What's this well he's talking about? So you turn to a passage. Surah 54, verse 28. So in Surah 54, Surah Qamr, verse 28, Allah Ta'ala mentions there. That Salih was told, each one's right to drink has been established. So let me just mention the report so you understand. In Imam Ahmad's Musnad Behaki Bazar Tabarani Al Haythami and Majma Az Zawaid Al Bidaya, Jabur Radiyallahu relates, when Rasulullah passed by the dwellings of Hijr, so where's this? Hijr is 150 miles north of Al Madina. So why is Rasulullah 150 miles north of Al-Madina? He's headed to Tabuk. When, they, when, when we pass by Hijr of, of Thamud, the Prophet said, don't ask for signs. The people of Salih had asked. Hence the she-camel used to come out from this way and he pointed and returned from that way and he pointed. They, however, transgressed the command of their Lord. And they killed the camel. The procedure was she drank water from the well one day and they drank her milk the next day. 
So that was the command. Let Don't go to the well. Let the camel drink. And then the next day you can drink the milk. They did not value this favor. They hamstrung her and so were seized by the blast which Allah, the glorious, sent to them from the sky. All except one who was in the harm. And the report continues. The well was not touched. So the well that, that Allah, Allah talked about here, Allah, Allah left it. And what's, what's interesting, the Prophet was going past and he pointed to the well. Why? Because Allah, Allah promised to keep it. And the well is still there. The well of Salih. Then what does Allah, Allah say in the verse? And he's left. Castles lofty and well built. Now who's he talking about? Who are these castles that they've left and well built? Which corn do you think Allah is referring to there? Huh. Ad. Surah 26, verse 1 to 8. So in Surah 26, verse 1 to 8, Allah mentions there explicitly what they did. So who the lay salatu wasalam? He said these words to his people. Atabnuna bi kulli ri in ayatanta abathu. Watadakhiduna masani ala kum takhludu. Do you build a landmark on every high place to amuse yourself? And you get for yourselves fine buildings in the hope of living forever. So what did Huda alayhi salatu wasalam say in the Quran? He rebuked them because what's this? Holiday homes. <laughs> right? And where did they build it? You know, not where we do. Smashed up back home, right? You know, they're building it from mountains. He goes, what's this? And then he goes, do you think you're going to live forever? So what did Allah do? He wasted them. And what did he leave behind? So Allah says in this verse, think. Do you think he's doing that? You know, we don't even think. You know, somebody goes, you don't believe these are all stories. What's that world doing here then? Your scientific geographical history proves there was a huge calamity, an earthquake took place here. Why was this world not touched? Get him thinking. What's this doing in the middle of a desert? Just one piece of rock with a building, with a with a dwelling in it. And how huge is that dwelling? Your scientific, historical, geographical data shows there was a huge disaster here. Something happened. Why is that still here? So Allah tells you in this verse, how many populations have we destroyed, which were given to oppression? They tumble down on their roofs. How many wells are lying idle and neglected and castles lofty and well built? And this is why Abdullah ibn Umar, to finish, what did he say? Abdullah ibn Umar said, when he went past the ruin, he goes, oh ruin, where are your dwellers? Oh ruin, where are your dwellers? He talked to it. This is in Ahmad and Zuhud Abu Nu'im al So this is a sunnah. So why would you want to talk to a ruin? Imagine you go past, you go man and lane, and you stop where that, you know, Mary Queen of Scots supposed to be in prison. And you go, stop. Why? And you get out. He goes, oh ruin, where are your dwellers? They think you're mad. So why do you say that? Because people live there. Where have they gone? And yet, the dwelling's still there. There's a lesson there. And that's why when you look into history, it has a very powerful impact upon your heart. People lived here, but they've gone and the traces are still here. Even if you go back even a little bit, you know, when they start saying Sheffield before and now, and you see those, you know, streets, 
and you see people walking down those streets and he goes now and there's nothing there <laughs> he just grass and he goes what's happened there you go ruins so note we are just actors on the stage we will leave and then somebody else will take over but we have a very important thing to do before we leave the stage that is to obviously worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so on the side of us we will conclude أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الذين إن مكناهم في الأرض أقاموا الصلاة وآتوا الزكاة وأمروا بالمعروف ونهوا عن المنكر ولله عاقبة الأمور we pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He makes the Quran the Nabi of our hearts. And I pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He forgives me for any errors which I may have inadvertently ordered. Subhanallah <laughs> <laughs>